ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. From some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. you got to close that distance really quick on him. And if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. Thinking you're recording and it's just going and you're talking. <laughs> I, I want to do that. I better double check, man. How you doing, brother? Good, man. How about yourself? Yeah, itching, itching for season, man. Just you know, it, it can't come Dude. soon enough at this point. No, I've actually. Um, so I've been off this whole week, and I've been getting dirt bikes ready. I've been packing the truck. I've been making sure all my last minute stuff's taken care of. Um, like battery packs and stuff and just making sure everything's nailed down, making sure mama's taken care of <laughs> there. There's All that. priority yeah. number one right there, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, dude. Luckily she doesn't, uh, she doesn't ever really have a real big list of stuff, but it's usually right there at that last week. She's got some wild stuff to, uh, to be taken care of hey, this last, <laughs> this last two weeks. They're, they're like, Hmm. <laughs> They're yeah. searching, you know, but, but how fortunate, yeah. how fortunate are we? And we got to give them kudos. How fortunate are we to be in the position with, with our, our family, our wives, our girlfriends, whatever it is. And they understand what this means to us. And they're, you know, they maybe reluctantly sometimes, um, but they're waving goodbye and giving us, you know, giving us that love and allowing us to go chase our passion, man. That's, a lot to be said about that, man. Yeah, dude. Especially so, my wife is probably the uh, the toughest and badass wife out there in the hunting community because she pretty much turns me loose from the end of August 
until the end of January. And, uh, you know, I schedule stuff for my company <laughs> in between there, but she holds the fort down while I'm out there getting content and uh, taking care of the kids and the animals and all that stuff, you know. It uh, it makes me feel pretty guilty until summer comes around, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I remember why I do this. <laughs> What's that they say? Payback's a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, for real. Regardless of the honey do list and and everything, man, I you know, kudos to those hunt wives that uh, that deal with it because um, it, it does it, it means a lot, and I, you know, I can't overstate that. So. Big up to you, girls, ladies, women. I don't want to offend anybody saying girls. I got in trouble for that once. <laughs> so, so, man, let's. Uh, we're on with Cole Wilkes, man. Why don't you just drop a little intro, let folks know, you know, who Cole is, and man, we'll go from there. Yeah. So, uh, my name's Cole Wilkes. I uh, grew up here in Central Texas. I've been uh, I've hunt, been hunting and consuming wild uh, wild meat for my entire life. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Flatlander. Um, I am also a Elk Bros coach, uh, along with Guy here. And uh, y'all, some of y'all might have seen me on Hunt Wars. Um, I coached season two, and uh, I'll be back there again uh, here just in several weeks, uh, coaching the season three guys that that won. And apps for season four are already about to drop, huh? It's already app time. Yeah, dude. Put your hundred bucks in. It's uh, from what I understand, man. The odds are pretty good to draw uh, to draw any of those hunts. So, dude, getting it's it's probably some of the, if not the best draw odds for the money, considering what we're uh, experiencing state to state, man. With draws, it's who is becoming a, a, almost a battle. Yeah. You know, all yeah. the changes. Yeah, I had time. actually. I had put in for season one and season two, not knowing that I was going to be uh, asked to go coach that deal. Um, so from what I hear from the guys that run everything is, yeah, the opportunity is definitely very good for, for anybody. And and some of the units that, that some of these hunts are in are just, they're remarkable. I mean, you're talking, if you're paying, if you're paying an outfitter or, uh, a guide service or hunting private in some of these units, man, you're talking upwards of $10,000 on an elk hunt. I mean, that's yeah. dude, you know, that a hundred dollars yeah. and the gear you get. That's unbelievable. Man. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. I'm on uh, the, I'm on a WhatsApp group with all of the guys and all of their, all of their gear is dropping right now. And so they're just, it's Christmas for them. <laughs> Same for me. I actually just got a big giant package of, of Phelps. Heck so yeah. I'm pumped. Ready to go. That. So I gave Joe a bunch of guff, right? As we're getting our Elk Bros Adventure, you know, group chat thing going there. And I'm like, really? You're going to put us on this WhatsApp? Man, What? why can't we just text? <laughs> I don't need another app. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, one thing I do like about the app, though, is I don't have to, like, I turn the notifications off and yeah. I just check it when I want. It's not it's not like a text message ringing in every time. So I do like that. Yeah, that's that's the same I do, man, is just keep that thing quiet. The all Sorry for Elk Bros Adventure, guys. The only thing is, like, if, if I have a busy day, I'm in the rears. And, man, all the chiming in is, like, Dude. funneling through. Jeez. <laughs> 
So yeah, man, we were we were on, you know, we were on uh, a podcast and we were <laughs> and we were talking and you know, you asked Joe, man, hey man, we're gonna talk some gear. When are we gonna get into that, right? And and you know, good old Joe. Joe's Joe's as about as minimalist as they come. How he's not a trad guy, just a purist, is beyond me. So I was like, man, let's jump on and get into this stuff, man. And, you know, with season knocking down the door. And you know, there's a lot of folks that that are coming out west uh, or from out west, right, that have never been on an elk hunt. And, and gear is such a subjective flood of information you know most folks really don't know where to go with it man it, it is very interesting finance plays a big part in gear um and then what you think you're getting into versus what you're really getting into to me is one of the biggest factors man in in that whole realm and it takes guys years and years to to kind of figure it out um wade wade the waters uh and and a lot of times spend, in my case, a butt ton of money just tinkering and, and testing and touching. And, you know, you see something and you're like, oh, man, that I got to try it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, gear is just gear is one of my favorite things and one of my most hated things <laughs> um, in in what we do. Right. Because it, it never fails. There, it seems like there's always something better that you can always upgrade to, or that we think maybe we need to. Um, I think guys uh, tend to go overboard sometimes on a bunch of their stuff and overpack, especially any of our new guys. Um, but then, you know, there's stuff that I run that's just like Amazon brand stuff that's just as good as some of the stuff that yeah, that we can buy from some of these big name brand companies. Um, but there is some stuff that you, that I think you need to spend some, you know, spend some of that money on and, and, you know, buy once cry once kind of situation. Right. I'm the, I'm the buy once cry once guy. And, and I agree with Amazon. The only, the only thing with Amazon for me, man, is I would, my preference is to support one small business and then homegrown, manufactured here businesses as much as, as humanly possible, right. With, with my finance and, and, sure. you know, um, that's not always, it's not always easy for, to afford it, unfortunately. And then two, um, as hard as folks try, there's, there's very few things that are a hundred percent, you know, uh, manufactured from, from start to end, you know, raw materials, et cetera, et cetera, here at home. But you know, it's worth the effort in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything that I can, I mean, especially if we're talking, you know, I don't care if it's 25% more, if it's U.S. made, U.S. company, uh, you know, somebody small that, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I, yeah, I'd, I'm with that. I'd much rather spend that money locally here for sure. So let's, let's hit them with it, man. What, what is your number one, like, you got to have, this has to be top notch. You can't mess around with it. Piece of gear. Oh man. <clears throat> well, I mean, obviously I think it needs to be, uh, I mean, dude, there's so many, so many things I could say right here. <laughs> so I think you're most, so here, here's what I think. And this is what I honestly believe. I could go out in a pair of Hey dude shoes and shorts and t-shirt 
with no gear at all, all I need is my bow. I think my bow is my most important or my weapon. Okay. Depending on who you are or what season you're hunting. Okay. Being proficient with that and, and, and right. That's one of the most subjective things also. Oh, you shoot a Matthews. Oh, you shoot a Hoyt. TSC, whatever the brand is. Right. I don't give a crap if it's a Walmart bow. Mm -hmm. If you can stack that stuff in there and you're drilling it at whatever your effective range is, um, I think that's that's the most important thing is be be on top of a hundred percent of your weapon and know every nook and cranny of it. Uh, that's I think that's that's my number one. See, and I always go to boots. Well, excuse me, I always go to footwear system, right? And I, I call it that for a reason because I could have a pair of five hundred dollars Salewas, and I can go to Walmart and get you know a cheap pair or I shouldn't say cheap I don't know if they're cheap in that realm but you know cotton champion 12 pack of socks and the Salewas are rendered useless because I got a quitter and it's slipping down on my foot and you know uh, don't have a <laughs> good insole so I always go right to the footwear system man and 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 put a lot of time into that um and that's a that's a nightmare realm in itself man testing boots is expensive yeah big, man. yeah I I do, um, I do, I do think boots are very, very important. Um, it's one thing if you're maybe running out of the truck, but it as like a backcountry feature, I think it's a, it's one of those things like it's, it's a must have really good boot for me, really good boot paired with a pair of gaiters. Like that's my foot setup, right? A pair of crispies. And, um, I like the peaks, um, gators, mm -hmm. they're a little bit noisy, but as far as them being waterproof and not having to mess with buckles and stuff, those things are bomb proof. Yeah. I, I, um, I enjoyed running those peaks as well. Yeah. Um, so definitely, you know, and, and the guys need to be testing this stuff, right? If you have a leaky boot, you need to know about that beforehand. Um, cause that's going to destroy your whole hunt. Just having a wet boot. Um, I can remember being in Kentucky hunting whitetail in, in the mountains in Kentucky in October and, uh, rain every single day. I went six or seven days straight with a rain shower and walking through water at some point of every day. And my boots never dried out external, but internal was just dry and comfortable and warm and everything was good because i had a you know a tested pair of boots that i knew wasn't going to fail on me you know um, or the system really yeah what, what's interesting with the gators right and and you see a lot of folks well why are you running gators or why you have gators right it's september man i've had snow in september 15 inches i've had you know rain day after rain day after rain day your dew point get you know gets kicked up and we, we talk about trekking through that dew point, right? Or, or that moisture, that high grass. And, you know, yes, we have some phenomenal textiles, right? But a, a lot of this stuff will soak that water after so many miles through that. That gator is offering a layer of protection. What happens, you know, in my experience, what happens is that pant absorbs the moisture. Then that moisture is transferred to the sock. And as that runs down your leg, gravity is still gravity dealing with that water in those, in those fabrics <clears throat> and the inside of your boot is wet. Now your feet are soaked. 
man, you spend, I don't know, how much time do you spend trying to dry out a wet boot to no avail, right? When you're mm. on the mountain, man, that's rough. And if you have leather boots and you decide you're going to put them suckers right next to the fire, um, a lot of times, man, you're screwing those boots up. You're rendering that waterproof, you know, almost useless if you're too close. And then you can change the shape of that foot box on that boot. And now you got a boot that's killing your feet as you're trekking around the uh, trekking around the mountain. So having a good gator, dude, is, is huge, 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 huge. Even with the best textile, with the best boots, I, I recommend having a gator with you. If you're not wearing them, they're, they're super light. You hang them on your pack or you throw them in your lid. Yeah. Good to go. Yeah, I agree. My early days, man, I would uh, I would get up in the morning and – um, you know, not realizing how much dew really is up there on the mountains. And then just like you said, tear off walking. I'd be like, oh, it's going to be nice and dry today. And then just like you said, my pants would soak it up. Then my socks. Next thing you know, I got wet boots. And then you're you're finding out that you put dry socks on, run the rest of that day out after your and your boots are still wet. And then it rains or something crazy. And, you know, it just seems like you're you end up on a you know, never winning battle. <laughs> You're always losing once they get wet. It's like they never, you know, they never come back from that. What, uh, what Krispies are you running? Uh, the Nevadas. Nevadas. I ran, um, yeah, the Nevadas non-insulated. Um, and I had a pair that I actually just replaced them. I had a pair before um, that I had for a season and a half. And I got like 2,500 miles out of them from what I could add up from that. Because uh, I hunt year round pretty much here in Texas, pigs and, mm -hmm. you know, all my deer hunts and all that stuff. I did five different states and uh, somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500 miles before I finally started blowing the toe out. Uh, and they were bulletproof, man. That's some, that is. Dude, it was a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can't even see the treads on the bottom hardly. <laughs> you start losing the rand in the front. That's that's when you know it's yeah. time to go. When that rand in the front is is pretty much null and it's it's jagged as all get up, man. It's time to get them boots out. Oh, jagged nothing. You could see some of the white of the Gore-Tex on the inside. <laughs> that's how wore out these the rand was on these. Damn. Yeah. What's, a lot of rocky, a lot of rocky country. What are you doing in terms of socks? Um, so I, so what I do for a living, I actually, uh, work for myself building metal buildings and fence. So dude, I'm on my feet all the time and I don't know what it is, but I don't seem to have any foot issues, knock on wood. Right. Um, so I can run, I do, I do tend to run better socks. I like the crispy style uh, socks, anything that's like a Merino wool, mm -hmm. uh, moisture wicking, like athletic style. Um, something with, um, you know, that insole support that has that, just that extra, extra elastic around the important areas. Um, but to be honest, I could wear like a pair of crappy Hanes socks and my feet would be just fine. Um, thank goodness. The problem with the cotton though is, you know, after... Uh, a couple days <laughs> sweating two days maybe yeah you better you best to be taking them off at night and hanging them on a tree where it's dry or on a on a little uh paracoid line and drying them out man because they get funky 
I run uh Yeah, dude. I run uh Wooroo. It's a company out of Utah. And uh you know, again, small business, you know, here at home and they uh they source their their wool from New Zealand. Uh but man, they the I'm a little biased. I'm a little biased because I, there's there's things that I like about them and the owner that just settle really well with me. But, you know, so when I say that, there is some some bias there. But uh, so I'll say it this way. One of the best socks I have ever wore on the mountain. Um, it's a it's a beautifully built, well thought out wool sock. Um, super, super comfortable, man. And I could wear them for six, seven days and I only carry one extra pair of socks, but I'll wear them, you know, six or seven days and then I'll cycle them out and I'll hang those, you know, as we, as we hit camps and whatnot. Um, but those have been money, man. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I pack doubles of in my pack would be socks and underwear, Mm -hmm. everything else. Um, uh, I usually run, uh, sick of gear, um, pants and, and that lightweight, um, hoodie. Um, I love their stuff cause it has the mask and stuff for bow hunting. Um, but, um, as far as like, yeah, duplicates, it's just socks and underwear is the only thing that I'll pack with me extra. Yeah. I'm, I don't, I'm I've, yeah, I've, I've taken my pack away from like my first year I ever went uh, which was nine years ago. This will be my 10th season elk hunting um, every year. Uh, I think my pack was like 74 pounds or something stupid. Mm-hmm. And I just weighed mine uh, the other day. I don't know if you saw that post, but with my rifle, um, cause I'm going to be carrying a rifle because I'm going to have a wolf tag and a bear tag uh, in Idaho so, uh, and I'm going to be up there a few days earlier, but it was only 48 pounds. Um, granted that's not much water in it at all, but that is a five day, uh, that's a five day pack, you know, with snacks and drink mixes and all that. And my weapon Whereas before without anything on my, my pack at all, it was like close to 75 pounds. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's crazy to me, the stuff that, uh, that I've weeded through, you know, that I thought was something I would use and then never even touched it on a 10 day. And then, and then you try to, it's funny cause you try to hold on to those items for a couple, three years, you pull them out and you know, you hadn't, but I, but I might this time I'm, am I going to use it? I might need it. <laughs> and it never gets used, man. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I, you yeah. know, for me, how I, how I sorted through that was I just built an Excel spreadsheet and on that Excel spreadsheet, you know, I put on what I'm using, what are comfort items, um, and and just kind of work through it that way. And then the things that, you know, it's like, oh, I haven't seen this in three years because it's been in the bottom of the Rubbermaid. I'll still consider taking that SOB. <laughs> but it's like, okay, hey, pull I'll out the spreadsheet. Truck, yeah. <laughs> I'll let my truck carry all of it. but. Yeah. It, it really has to be important for me to put it inside my pack now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I would say by about year three, I, I actually started after day three on a hunt, I would go through my pack and be like, okay, I haven't touched any of this. And I'd start putting it in a separate pocket. And then, um, if for over a 10 day period or maybe a two week long hunt, um, I would then, you know, 
I'd be like, okay, I haven't touched any of this, but I've used this thing once. So it gets to come back in the pack and all the rest gets left at the truck. Mm -hmm. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm toting around 38 pounds, uh, you know, without water or anything. Um, you know, and it was just night and day, the stuff that you don't really need to survive a night in the woods. Right. What, uh, what are some of those items that you ditched? Oh man. Now I'm like looking back at it. Um, like I don't like taking any kind of, of a pack shoe or flip flops or anything like that. Uh, you might be different cause you, it sounds like you could be a tenderfoot. Oh, bad, bro. <laughs> bad. Most of, but you know, it's funny. I, well, is- I can take off. I'll, I'll go barefoot. We were in the woods a couple of years ago. My buddies are like, dude, your feet look like you've been homeless for three years. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, honestly, that's really good to do. Walk your feet around in some of the dirt around camp. And it, it really almost kind of toughens them, mm-hmm. you know, toughens them up. Um, but just, I guess just dumb stuff, like not, not dumb stuff, but just things that were maybe, Oh man, now I'm trying to think of like all the crap that I had. And you know, some of it was stuff that I that I've replaced with super light stuff, like running a before I had like a solid steel tube, um, one of those old school like Alp style packs, mm-hmm. um, like a pack frame, and then um like a back I would carry another backpack on top of that for like a day pack because I didn't want to carry around that noisy pack frame. Um, doing stuff like that, like, uh, maybe I would walk in with a pair of tennis shoes and carry a pair of boots, like something ridiculous like that. Um, other things just like having too many extras of knives and flashlights. Like now I don't even carry a flashlight. I carry two headlamps. Um, and that's it because most of the times you're so wore out. If, unless you're hiking at night, which you're going to be using a headlamp anyway, there's no reason to have a flashlight. I feel like no. two headlamps they are super light. Um, I don't even bring extra batteries for them because one of my headlamps will run for a, you know, a solid week. And then my other headlamp is there just in case if I run out of battery or I lose my other one. Um, I carry I went from carrying like a fixed blade knife and having a folding knife and then having like a Havilon, right? I don't, I don't do that anymore. I carry a fixed blade knife that I carry on my side, um, almost as like a form of protection. Uh, if I got to stab a bear in the throat or something (laughs) and, uh, for doing and for doing like camp work, like splitting little pieces of wood or, you know, clearing some brush, that's like my utility knife. And then I have a, um, one of the, uh, Chav gave it to me. One of the, it's like a Havilon style. It's like a Havilon style knife, but it's, uh, I can't remember the brand of it, but you know, just stuff like that, like packing duplicates of, of crap that, you know, I, I would never touch. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even touch one knife, uh, let alone sometimes touching three of them, you know? Um, and I'm not crazy. Like I don't cut my, toothbrush handle off or anything like that um so i'm not super super tight on you know on ounces of weight but you know just certain things um uh, like another thing i do i make my own dehydrated meals now and the way i package them is not like carrying around 
14 bags of mountain house that each each one of them are puffed up to this size right here whereas now um you know i dehydrate my own stuff and i vacuum seal it and stuff it into little tiny mylar bags um yeah just you know little things like that it was it's crazy bring you down a lot of weight um you know and choices of food and snacks and all that stuff so real quick caveat to cole not carrying replacement batteries he he definitely replaces those batteries at the beginning of the season he's not turning it on and going oh, okay it looks you know i got three bars some of those light headlights have the bars on it those yeah. are getting replaced huh yeah so i i run um i it's the uh the the black diamond um the storm and every time whenever i i do have batteries in my truck i I don't know if you've seen my truck or not, God, but it's um, it's a monstrosity F two fifty with with like a utility, utility. camper, uh-huh. um, and then I've taken the camper, the sides of the camper where tools normally go, and one side is my uh, my pantry where all my food goes, and then the other side is like supplies and tools and stuff like that. So I, if I'm leaving the truck, I put a brand new set of batteries in, regardless of what my meter says they are. Um, and then I usually will recycle those batteries um, into something else that I have there at the truck. Let it be a flashlight or uh, another headlamp or something like that. But for sure, one my headlamp that I use all the time is definitely getting replaced um, before I even leave, you know, the trailhead or wherever I'm hiking in. At. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, we talked about stuff in the pack, you know, very briefly, and but you brought up volume, right? Is is decreasing volume when you look at, you know, if you look at Peaks, if you look at Mountain House, you know, whatever whatever your choice brand of dehydrated meal is, if if guys are, are purchasing them, um, a lot of those are two serving meals, man. So I tend to break them down and and split the serving, vacuum seal one, uh, and then I'll just try and use one bag. You know, as as long as I can, those mylar bags, man, they'll last you a whole trip. But volume is huge in a pack. I mean, it it, it plays on, you know, if you're if you're, I don't take my pack off. Very, I shouldn't say that. Very rarely will I take my pack off, even even in shot, um, on a on a stock or anything. I don't. I've I've set stuff down, even marking it on on Onyx, and then I'm spending an hour looking for it because I didn't, you know. I wasn't really paying attention as I was focused on that, on that critter. Um, and man, that can, especially if you're going downhill, right. And I get something down. I don't want to walk back 200 yards up that grade, look for my pack, then get my pack and then head down to take care of that critter. So I just leave my pack on, but volume plays one weight. And then positioning with that, if I'm off camber or anything, I don't think enough guys load, load that pack and then go and put themselves in awkward shooting positions. Like we'll, we'll go and we'll do it at the range and say, okay, I did it. I did it with my pack on, but a pack on at 25 pounds, say, right. With a few things stuffed in versus a pack on that has, you know, a week of provisions at call it 60 pounds off camber uphill. That's a huge difference in your shot process, backing up, 
trying to position yourself, right? I mean, it's going to limit you. I think it's one of those things that that we need to we need to be very cognizant of, not just on the mountain, but before season hits. Yeah, for sure. I I was actually shooting um, shooting the other day with my pack on, fully loaded, um, with that you know that forty eight pounds. What I'm expecting to be hiking through the woods with, and that's with a, with a rifle on there. You know, so being being cognizant of something sticking up above my pack also. Um, but I thought I was thinking about that too because I preach that a lot. Like, go out there and and take your equipment and go use it and simulate. You know, you being in the mountains, so you know what's going to go down when you get there. And um, I was trying to, I was paying attention to everything, like whenever, and I was trying to shoot eighty, you know, ninety yards with a 48, 48 pound pack on, and I noticed that the wind actually affected because it would blow me a little bit and that extra weight created momentum to where my my side to side movement of my pin with my bow was actually a little bit more exaggerated so i made sure yeah i made sure and and concentrate on that whenever i was trying to execute that shot is i noticed just a little bit of movement the momentum of that extra weight man uh made it a little more difficult to stabilize on, on a good shot. And that's just talking from your feet, right? If you, if you have to get on a knee or both knees for that matter, and you have that pack on, I, yeah, it, it'd be great to say that we had the time to, to strip that pack off real quick. That's movement for one. If you're in the heat of the moment, you're offering that much movement and you're trying to stay focused on that animal, knock an arrow and get ready for a shot man, all bad, right? And the worst thing that we could do is not fully prepare for that situation in how we plan to run that situation. Uh, like coaching the guys, you know, through through Oakbo's adventures, that's one of the things we talked about. I'm like, look, I don't really don't care if you put on all your gear. Now, if you're going to have, it's going to be, you know, cold in season or you hit a couple cold days and you're going to have, you know, your base layer, your puffy and your outer, then yeah, by all means, please at least, you know, get that puffy on to see how that affects it. I think there is some effect there. You start feeling different. For me, I feel everything, dude. I, I'm my my. I'm wearing Salewas this year, and it's a pretty stiff sole. But I can. There's certain things that are under that boot, and like you said, man, I, I'm tenderfoot. I feel everything. Every if if I have a dip in the dip, I'll think about the dip. If I have a diaphragm in my mouth, right when I'm shooting, that diaphragm can't be in my palate. Like I'll, I'll flip it from my cheek to my palate, my cheek to my palate with my tongue. Yeah. For some reason, it's one of those things that it's not in my shot process. So I immediately notice just those small nuanced differences that, that you wouldn't think are there for me, it plays a part of it, man. So it's like, these are things that I go through. If I'm at like right now, I'm at the range and before I shoot, I'm, I'm, I'm mewing or barking to stop, right? I'm shooting. I'm, hitting it again as I'm knocking another arrow and that's, you know, and I haven't, I'm, I'm behind the curve here and I haven't done it in full pack weight this season yet. Uh, shame on me for preaching it, but I'm comfortable with what my pack weight typically is and shooting. I've done it enough to understand what I'm up against as I go into that process. But here, you know, this week I plan to finally get loaded and do it, but. I can't understate, understate the yeah, importance see, of that, man. Yeah. For me, it's rare for me to shoot without my pack on. 
Um, luckily being here in Texas, as much pig hunting as I do, I'm always, every time I'm carrying my bow, really my bow and my backpack are an extension of me whenever I go hunting. Mm -hmm. Right. It it always has everything that I need in it. And regardless y'all, I I run a 6,400 Exo mountain gear as a day pack to whitetail hunting. You know why? Because I can put 150 pound whitetail in the, the meat crib on this thing and pack it out whole. Um, and, and still have everything that I need, my game bags, my water, my purification. Um, I do a lot of spot and stalk and a lot of ground hunting. So I'm constantly moving and I can't do the sitting in the tree stand thing anymore after learning. Uh, you know, I just, I've just been up in my game, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. And to me that sitting is just, <laughs> it's inefficient. I want to be moving. So I've got a pack on my on my back and my bow and I'm looking for animals all the time. Right. So I end up, uh, man, I can't think of an animal that I've killed in the past nine years, guy, that I, that I haven't had that pack on my back while I did it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's huge, man. Um, let's talk pack fit. Right. And then, you know, it's not, we all have different shapes, right? There's no one size fits all. And, and I have a great appreciation for the companies that put time into making sure that suspension systems on those packs are, are you know, adjustable in height, adjustable in girth. <laughs> um, yeah. How, how important do you find that type of stuff? Um, I, it's very important. Uh, just... Oh, man, when was it? A couple years ago, we we ran into some guys that was packing some meat, and uh, I can't remember the pack that they had, but it just looked awkward to me. And uh, we had stopped, and they were taking a break, and I was like, "Man, uh, you know, helped him get his pack off and stuff." I was like, "Man, I don't think you have something set up here." And just just from us loosening up um, his straps that come down like this and relaxed. Uh, that and the the load, the load carrier straps up here, the load lifters, he had them jacked up so tight that it was like almost he was almost having to like hunch his back over rather than just having it kind of snug and then had either had these straps too loose or too tight, right? It was just digging into his shoulders. He had no he had nothing onto his hips. And I said, man, look, I'm gonna show you how I do it. And then we should try to do it on your pack after sitting there for five minutes talking with him. And uh, whenever he stood up and we were able to get his, get his, uh, his, what's the one that goes around your, hip belt. I guess your kidney strap or whatever, hip belt. Uh, we got it tightened down and snug down good and up above his hips. It's not like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of guys are, it's riding on their ass more than it's riding. Like, you know, it's, it's, you should be able to hold your pack and be able to put your, your hands underneath your shoulder straps up here. It shouldn't, even with a load of meat on it, shouldn't be like digging into your shoulders and man, we got him adjusted up and he was like, Oh my gosh. He was like, it feels like I have a hundred pounds less on me right now with the same load just because we adjusted his backpack and we raised everything up on him and got it to where it was sitting, you know, right there below the small of his back and got that lumbar support in there and he got everything tightened up then and then we adjusted his his load lifters and his shoulder straps and he messaged me after that and was like dude 
we were able to keep walking for over a mile and a half um, just at contour without having to stop and readjust and take the packs off because he's like before it was hurting me so bad having all that weight. You know, that's the worst thing, man. And I'm not going to say the brand, but I had a pack and it was, it was semi-adjustable and it's a fairly popular pack. And the way that the, the, the frame was, you could adjust the height slightly, but not enough. And the strap would ride really low. And I just, I, I couldn't do nothing about it. And then the daggum hip suspension would all, the buckles would always slip on the, mm. uh, on the uh, straps, right? So it was this constant fight, constant fight, constant fight. And you, you know, you pack out a full, a full mule deer. I didn't want to go back up and go back down. So I'm putting everything in, in one load, dude, when you get that load riding on your shoulders, and it's putting pressure on that muscle. Your neck starts to hurt, you know, and the next mile you're like, man, I got a little bit of a headache and you start getting stiff. Man, that is the worst GD thing on a pack out is starting to feel. <laughs> it already sucks, right? But you, your legs are going to take a lot more than these smaller muscles, you know, up by your neck. I'd rather have my legs burning, you know, with with 100 pounds on them than, than 40 pounds sitting on my shoulders and, and putting that pressure down. That sucks. Yeah. And another thing, like if we're talking about hauling meat, I think one of the most important things is trekking poles. Uh, my hunting partner, Kyle, he's a, he was a young kid, one of the only kids that I could find, or one of the only people that I could find that would go into this nasty country with me to hunt elk. And uh, he, he would always make fun of me because I had trekking poles with me. And I was like, dude, it turns you into a mountain goat. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming down the hill, you can put those things down like a cane and support yourself and then slowly step down on some of these, uh, you know, little small cliffs or, or big ass rocks, you know, and uh, he would always make fun of me. And then a couple of years ago, he got him a pair of trekking poles and he was like, it's unbelievable how much uh, you don't get fatigued as much because you're really you're you're not trying to support yourself and you're not using all those little stabilization muscles as much whenever you can lean on your poles and you know really get a good footing and not make a mistake or slip you have three other points of contact there uh by using those it's just man what a game changer i was uh, told they are i was told a couple of years ago i did a podcast with dr david shaleen he's a pt out of northern california and he told me up to a 30 percent perceived weight reduction when you're using trekking poles you don't have to say anymore if i can feel 30 percent less pain <laughs> I don't care what it is, right. man. I'm all about it, you know, but, but the, you know, you bring up a, a really good point outside of that is the stability and, and, you know, air quote, sure footedness, if you will, that they offer instead of taking a risk and, you know, stepping over to you already beat, you have this heavy load on you. Um, you know, your, your balance and whatnot is not what it is every day. And who wants to be mid mountain and have a bad fall? right? That you're already in a risky situation, then you're going to increase that risk because you don't want to carry a trekking pole. I mean, come on. It's a no brainer, man. Yeah. I mean, look at peaks. We brought peaks up earlier, right? When they first came out with their sissy sticks, you know what I mean? They, that's what they were called. And, uh, it's, I got them right here on the side of my pack. Do you have the, <laughs> do you have the first generation of them or the second? 
Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. Because the, the new uh, ones, I believe they call them the, the pro elites. They have that choke down grip on them. Uh, these are the backcountry, the backcountry pro. So that, you can see it. Yeah. Let me see the handle on them. Hold it up a little bit. So, okay. So the new ones, I have those, my wife uses those, the new ones, they have a longer grip section. So you don't, so you don't have to adjust between uphill and downhill you just choke down on the mm. bad boys it shortens them up and man you're plugging away and i can't i can't thank them guys enough for that right you don't have to stop you just yeah. you know choke down you raise them up i mean what is that uh it's centimeters on theirs i think you probably raise them up somewhere between six to eight inches by choking down on them man it's a game changer dude. yeah yeah, I do that a lot too on like a side hill. Mm -hmm. um, if we have to side hill a long ways, I'll run my uphill stick shorter. Um, that would probably make it a lot easier not having to adjust. Yeah. You just got the grip down lower. Yeah. Um, and then my downhill one, I'll run it a little bit longer. Um, yeah, man, they're, it's, they're a game changer for sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go anywhere without some sort of, even if it's just one, right? Like a cane style, mm -hmm. um, they're, man they, they just make so much difference um not just that i've used them for a bunch of other stuff too yeah you're you're you know using <laughs> them as tent poles propping up tarp and, yep yep yeah so a trick if anybody's looking and you got trekking poles and like damn man you know uh i want to choke down on them <coughs> this one i have to adjust is uh is is hockey stick tape and uh, tennis racket or racquetball tape is another good way to do that. Add about eight inches below that grip, get it nice and thick. Just make sure you test it as you're putting it on and, and you're not making it too thin or too fat. So it's still comfortable. And in, like Cole said, if you're only doing one, um, well, you know, uphill off camber, right uphill, you know, traversing, but do both of them. Um, but yeah, just, you know, a few bucks in some racket, uh, some racket tape and man, that stuff goes a long way. I see guys wrapping it around their bows all the time on the handle or the riser. But yeah, you do that on those trekking poles, man. It's night and day. See, and that's some stuff right there. You're talking about like weight, uh, like weight management. Um, so I'm a big fan of different kinds of tape. I usually have duct tape rolled around like my knife sharpener. I have electrical tape rolled around um, something else. You know, I have tape stashed all over the place. And medically, just to be able to like rip some tape even off of off of your trucking pole and, and do a quick stitch bandage, you know, and keep moving without having to dig into your pack. Uh, you know, that's just little things like that. I always anytime I take something in the backcountry, I think about like what else could I use this for? Not just the purpose I'm intending, but if I get into a bad situation, could I use this stuff as a tourniquet or something like that, right? Um, and that keeps me from having to run a tourniquet or, you know, vice versa, any kind of little bandages and stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of the way I look at it. So do you, do you, with that being said, do you, so you don't run a first aid kit? I, it, well, I mean, it's kind of a custom bill. Like it's not, it, it's not anything that, uh, it's not anything that you can just go buy, mm -hmm. right? I've assembled it. It's got the, the, the super important stuff. I do have a few band-aids, um, but like blood clot in there, um, something to, uh, I, I actually wanted to get some of those zip stitches. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just some, some good medical tape, some good clean gauze. 
Um, and then I run, um, like I keep Vaseline in with my fire starter stuff. So that's kind of an ointment that I carry, uh, for, for packing a wound or something like that. The cotton balls and the Vaseline can be used as fire starter. And it's a, it's great for any kind of medical stuff. Right. Um, I've used it for, if I get a bad rash while I'm hiking or something, um, or even for, uh, you know, <laughs> anything, dude, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So I wouldn't say I have an actual safety, uh, kit, but it's, you know, I kind of built my own. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I got a, I got a story for you. You brought up the rash of my buddy. Uh, he's a big, he's a big old son of a gun. He's six, three, six, four, you know, at the time, probably 270 pounds and, uh, man, it's hot. It's hot when it, when season starts, man. You know, you start to put on those miles, and uh, he got a little got a little down under problem going, man. And he was, you know, he's starting to hurt. So uh, <laughs> he decides, well, you know what? In this wind checker bottle, man, this is powder. And he looks down and he pulls out the wind checker, man. He opens that sucker up, and it's that uh, what is that one called? Smoke. I think it's something like that. Ah, something smoke, but it's, it, I've seen it and it's green or purple. Okay. And, and right there, that's the first mistake in my book, right? Like that sucker is colored. Yeah, bro. It don't go there. <laughs> no. So he, he dumps <laughs> this thing in his hand, man. And he opens up his, his britches and he's just swatting it away. He gets another handful. He's swatting it away. <sighs> you broke skin. You're open poured down there and you got them dyes and you don't know what it, Hey man, the, the, the burn and pain ensued. And I'm sorry to laugh about it, man, but hot damn, one of the funniest Dude. things ever on the mountain. Um, that's legitimate stuff. I actually, so so I don't wear just regular, you know, uh, boxer briefs. I, I wear uh, a wool sin, a, a, another wool woo rule product, uh, but it's a 150. Um, and man, they're money. Like I can't, I can't say like you want to walk around in a a nylon synthetic or a cotton choney for me i'm spending the entire month on the mountain ain't the move man uh between the funk and the sweat i can't even stand myself yeah. but uh but I, <laughs> I started carrying after his after his experience i found uh man i can't think of the name of it off my top of my head i just carry a little three ounce thing of powder just in case that happens man you know you get those hot spots or whatnot a little bit of jock going on um, and drop that yeah. stuff in there, man. And it's a lifesaver. Cause that'll, that'll take you out of the game between your feet and something like that, man, that'll knock you out of the game. And uh, if you're oh, uncomfortable, yeah. that's rough, bro. Yeah, for sure. That that's the, the powder is definitely one of those things I carry that doesn't get used a lot, but it's, it's there, you know, it's like, I don't want, I don't want something ridiculous to take me off the mountain. I carry this stuff. Let me grab it and show you it. So you need to just start using uh, baby powder as your wind checker. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't fragrant, but I carry this stuff too. This is another. This is another woo woo wool product, and uh, this. Oh, dude, cool. This is money. Like they, it's blister wool. Okay, so all it is is this spun, not a wool. Oh dang! Right. And uh, you just take a tuft of this stuff and you you get a hot spot. As soon as you feel a hot spot, you, you just pull your sock down, you know, put this on the hot spot. And what it does, it's lanolin treated. So it takes the friction 
off of your skin puts it to this stuff. And then what happens after, as you're moving, it just kind of binds to the sock, whatever. I know I've seen it do it to cotton socks, wool, wool, sin blends. Um, but I also used this That's cool. a couple of years ago. I, I don't know if I fractured my toe or what was going on with my toe, but I used this as a splint. And I, what I did is I just took a, a larger piece than this and I wrapped it around that toe because every time that I would bend my knuckle, I mean, it was just, it was pain, pain, pain. And I just made mm. it, I wrapped it around a couple of times and made a splint out of it. And by the time it, it, it bind it to the sock top and bottom, it, dude, it was perfect. Um, but any, it doesn't even have to be in your boot. Like if you have some friction, you put this stuff somewhere, dude, it's gone I, for $9. Yeah, that's it, cool. This stuff is money, man. I, I, I can't, uh. It's just, it's such an easy fix. You know, you see guys with Luca tape and, you know, moleskin and things like that. And they, and it's always, in my opinion, it's always too late. You see them putting it over a blister, you know, and you put yeah, stuff in there done. that you don't get a blister. It's, you just don't have it. I love that stuff. Woo rule, man. That's, yeah. Again, that, that's one do of you my take your, brands. Do you take your boots off? Do you take your boots off uh, midday, you know, like whenever you're chilling at a you know, uh, little midday snack spot or anything like that? It depends. Like, you know, that first few days of season, I'm not – I really don't want to rest, dude. I'm going, going, going. Now, when you start talking about day 12, you know, day seven, day 17 is like my – that's my curse everything day. <laughs> everything sucks at day 17 what can i just leave on the freaking mountain because i don't want to carry it anymore should i go back to the truck and yeah. just dump stuff um so yeah later later in the hunt i will or if we have a kind of a mild day you know if it's hot and and we're sitting down to lunch i'll definitely take my boots off if it's hot um you know strip down pull yeah. the boots just to let myself cool real good um but most of the time man they stay on you've been there um, you know, you're sitting there and you're laying and, you know, there's nothing worse than hearing, hearing elk below you and having to throw, you know, boots and everything else on noise movement, and then try and go get on those animals. Oh, yeah. So I, I tend to just, you know, keep everything on. If we're down my pack, I'm usually leaning against it. Uh, my bow is right off my hip, not leaning on the tree 10 feet away. Um, so it's just paying it for me, it's paying attention to proximity, I guess. Um, as comfortable as you want to yeah. get after a few miles, I I don't want to get that comfortable to where I'm caught off guard. Been there too many times. Yeah. I, I'm not a big napper. I don't know what it is. I always feel like, especially midday, man, I've killed more. Well, we've killed the majority of all of our elk during midday, you know, between that 11 and three o'clock. Um, and it always seems like, Whenever, if I ever do get a nap or something, I wake up real fast to something like, I think I heard a bugle, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I can't now, it's so, like, I'm just so keyed in when we're in the mountains. Um, I can't seem to nap until it gets after dark, mm -hmm. you know? I'm the same way. I'll, I'm down to sit there and eat a snack and listen and stuff like that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm about ready to pack my stuff and you know, keep, keep walking. Going. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's especially early on, right? You got all that energy. You've been waiting for so many months to do it. Oh, why do I want to that going back to camp? That's the killer, right? Like, dude, you, you hiked in three and a half miles. You're going to go back to camp midday. 
and then repeat that three and a half miles and say, I'm going further. And most of the time what happens is you get three and a half miles after, after your, your can't break. And then that's your limit. And then you're turning around coming back. So you end up hunting the same spot a couple of times. And it's just like, man, nah, I'm, I'm good on that. I'm up. I want to be yeah. up before the sun and I want to be back when the sun is, is set, man. That's, that's just time to accomplish the mission. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So earlier you said mask. Mask versus face paint. <laughs> it's mask for you, huh? So I run both. Okay. I run both, actually. Um, I'm very I'm kind of a superstitious guy. Yeah, whenever uh I don't know what it is, dude, because I've been using face paint my whole life. And it's just one of those things like I'm sure you've watched the born and raised guys. They're like, okay, I'm it's time to kill something. Everybody face paint up. Like I feel that sometimes I'm like, okay, shit's not working. I'm ready to change something up and do something different. And it's time to have a little bit of fun and all, you know, the face paint comes on and then shit gets real. And usually something ends up dying when the face paint comes out, to be honest. That I'm superstitious. I'll get up with it too, but it's something funny about people are going to laugh at it, but, but, you almost take on a, maybe not a different persona, but it's like game time, sucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. As you know, I don't, I'm normally not clean shaven. This is very weird for me. I normally have a beard. Um, but uh, whenever I have a beard or whatever, I'm not too worried about it too much. And really, I face paint a lot with whitetail. Uh, because I'm, I'm a ground hunter, you know, I'm, I'm on the ground and up close and personal with them, but there's just something about putting face paint on dude. Whenever it's been three days and you haven't heard nothing, it seems like it just brings the bugles out. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's uh it's warrior mode. It, it just flips the switch. Right. And, and, you know, people give guff. Oh, I don't need that. You know, you hear it. It's like, well, dude, you got, you got camo on from your neck down. Right. And then now yeah. here you are, you know, bright and burly with your face, you know, looking like a looking like a lollipop out there. Um, why why not break that up a little bit too, right? And and for for critters, eyes are identifiable, right? They are that is what they're keying in on. So maybe maybe you think your face paint doesn't face paint doesn't do anything, but if they're able to to key in on those eyes and there's nothing else there. You're, you're busted. Now you may get lucky and they stand there and offer yeah. the shot, but they're, you know, that's what they're looking at. I, I, there's times where I don't put it on. Um, but man, it is again, like you said, definitely my preference, definitely my preference, whether, whether yeah. it flips a switch or works or not, it, it's just part of, it's just part of my gig. Yeah, but I do little stuff like that all throughout the hunt just to try to keep morale up, you know. I'll take and uh, I do this to Kyle all the time. Uh, whenever we would hunt together, I'd be like, oh, that's it. I'm strapping my bow to the backpack. I'm sick of it, you know. We can't get a bugle or anything. As soon as I strap my bow to my backpack and get out of hunt mode, then we get a bugle, yeah. right? And it never fails. Like, it's just, and it's not, it has nothing to do with doing anything, right? It's just, do maybe doing something a little bit different, just having fun with it. And then it just changes everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, just because you're not sitting there 
in mopey mode and you're actually, you know, you're hunting and, and not getting so discouraged. That that's actually <laughs> what was that? That was 20, I think it was 2019 or 2020, right? I was just getting walloped, man. And uh somehow I had Signal talking to my buddy, or maybe it was before season. He goes, Look, man, just you know, if you're having if you're having that kind of week. You know, if you could spare the time, run down to the closest town, man. Go get you a slice of pizza, a burger, take a shower. Those are all little tricks, man. And that was, I told him after that season, uh, we ran down to town. It was, I was with my son and I mean, we were, we were getting beat, dude. We were putting probably seven, eight miles on a day and seven, eight mile, mountain miles. I mean, it's not like seven, eight miles walking flatland, right? I mean, you're you're getting beat up. You're exploring country, and we're doing, you know, what I always call the Olympic rings and just trying to find elk in this, yeah. you know, this area we weren't too familiar with. And uh, man, we ran down to town one evening. I said, you know what? Let's let's go down. My son was beat up. It was his first elk hunt, and uh, we packed back to camp at probably somewhere around three o'clock. Shot down the hour, hour and a half, whatever it was. Man, we had. Uh, two cowboy burgers, uh, jalapeno poppers, French fries. We ordered a freaking pizza between. I mean, we had we were loaded, dude. But you know what? Yeah, that was that was what we needed. Those little things, those little nuanced things, man, just to break up the monotony. And and especially if you're getting your butt kicked and boost that morale, man, that's huge. We were back on the mountain the next yeah. day and, and didn't miss a beat after that super superstitious. Yeah, yeah, I used to do that a lot in my yeah I used to do that a lot in my early days just um especially after because I hunt a lot solo um and being in there for you know six to seven days straight by yourself and just going and just reset everything get a shower get something good to eat you know have a couple beers and then start fresh you know most of the times it's hard for me to even go to bed that night because i feel like it's opening day again the next day mm -hmm. it's just a great revival you brought it up brother solo solo versus hunting with folks uh, i always joke man you know when i say about day three or four you know that that uh, little dude starts talking to you and uh, as time goes on you start talking back to that little dude <laughs> it's pretty interesting when you're in there solo um especially for the extended hunts man um but the clarity the clarity that it provides you know the solitude provides is next level though man you you, you work a lot of stuff out with yourself oh yeah you yeah you better be mentally strong if you're going solo so uh i don't know if you know this and and probably the listeners probably don't know this either but my whole reason for me starting that uh the flatlander youtube channel um i actually casted for season seven of the history channels alone uh and they required me to do some self-filming and have an avenue or a place for them to be able to go do it so uh, once that started, man, being in the backcountry really uh, got easier for me because I started filming everything. So then I was talking and explaining what I was doing. And to me, it, it made it to where I could I could stay out there longer and be solo longer because I really, as weird as it sounds, you know, I was talking to all you guys and I was talking to all my my followers and, and my subscribers and stuff. And it made it, 
I don't know what it is. Just it made it to where it was like I, I was out there not by myself, mm-hmm. but I was sharing it with so many different people. Um, and to me, that was really cool. And that's another reason why uh, I kind of kept doing the, the YouTube stuff. Um, just the amount of people that it's reaching and teaching. I never even thought about the psychological aspect of self-filming in that respect, right? It, it becomes it becomes your Wilson, right? Was that movie uh, Castaway, mm-hmm. right? So that camera be kind, kind yep. of becomes your Wilson and you're able to have dialogues because um, I think that's where that's where it gets a little bit troublesome maybe is is not having that interaction and that dialogue it's a it's an interesting aspect of the hunt man i i enjoy i enjoy talking to my creator man you know i work my stuff out i work my stuff out and i so my goal is to take all my ish to the mountain and i'm gonna leave whatever ish on that mountain that i could leave right so there's there's an internal dialogue that comes along with that. But then when I get to sit and have those conversations with God, be it audibly or not, man, there's a, there's a healing power, if you will, however that sounds in that, that man, I find in the solo situations, it's phenomenal, man. It, uh, there's nothing like that to me. I wouldn't trade that. Yeah. Yeah. After, yeah. Oh, we could go deep on that part of it, being spiritual in the mountains and stuff like that. Um, there's been so many times to where I have gotten so wrapped up in the hunt that, uh, you know, I forget about that. And then like the next morning I do a lot, people rag on me a lot because I like to, I like to pray to mother nature. Right. I feel like she's the one I've got to get the, I've got to get, uh, her permission and, and I've got to put in the work and she, she has to almost say, okay, now you've done what I wanted you to do. You've earned it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you now have asked me for my help and then it never fails, dude. I end up tagging out within, you know, hours of that experience or whatever it might be. Um, so just, yeah, absolutely. I think people need to sit back and, and enjoy what, what, what's really going going on around us right we don't get to experience it but whenever we're hunting but i think it does a lot for who we are as hunters um you know hunter we're some of the greatest people i think that's out there you know uh and and a lot of people don't don't think that because we're out there taking a life but you know we're not hiring people to murder animals for us so we can live every day Mm -hmm. we're going out there and taking a single life, an elk, and it's feeding my family for months on end. Um, and that's the way I believe it was supposed to be, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and just- yeah, getting in touch, getting in touch with that man is, is I think a lot of the problems with a lot of these people in the cities and stuff. I'm not asking you to come out and hunt y'all, but just come out and, and go walk through the woods and understand what, me and guy and every hunter out there is trying to protect uh is that special place that we all have together probably sounds like i call it church dude it absolutely is man and it probably to my listeners sound like i'm beating a dead drum right but again it's something that i can't i can't overstate enough right there there is a increased admiration respect appreciation love reverence all all the above 
for all life when you put yourself in that circle, right? I mean, how many guys do you know that are that are going to drop an elk steak on the floor, look at it, pick it up, and then toss it like we do a burger patty from from you know city market? Um, it doesn't happen. I'll eat a I'll eat a dirty no. ass elk steak, man. I you know what I mean? You drop a, a venison brat on the ground, man. I'll make sure if nobody else wants it, I'm gonna make sure that goes on my plate. It's not getting wasted. How much cellophane and foam meat yeah. get wasted on a daily basis? But then hunters are horrible for going out and killing something. No, we're not. I have a huge admiration and respect for that life and that sustenance that that yeah. life provided. I ain't letting a damn thing go to waste. How many folks are eating beef liver? How many folks are eating beef heart? How many folks are eating beef tongue? Yeah. You know what I mean? Count them, count them on less than one hand, I guarantee it, right? If you survey 100 yeah. people and ask them that question, ain't nobody doing it, you know? And, and well, yeah. dude, and well, uh, so this is kind of a little side note, but to how far I take it, I, uh, I'm a backcountry hunter and you hear most people talking about deboning their meat out. My last bull that I shot, uh, I didn't shoot one last year cause I didn't want to take a sketchy shot, uh, on two different occasions, but my bull that I shot two years ago, um, we packed out a hundred percent of it. Like I packed out as much bone as I could carry because I make, uh, I make bone broth with that. And, um, just uh, like everything, like we eat the bone marrow, uh, the tongue came out with me and my partner was like, what do you need six game bags for? And I'm like, dude, it's all coming out with us. This is like I'm I want everything that I possibly can if the situation dictates it and I don't have to waste meat by deboning or anything or even waste the bone uh it's coming with me dude mm -hmm. yeah. and, and dude and I, same thing sorry no no go, no, ahead. go ahead finish your statement so same thing whenever we're eating dinner I tell my daughter I carried that shit right there 17 miles <laughs> if you're not going to eat it if you ain't gonna eat it, I'm gonna eat it. That's so right. let me know whenever you're done, and I'll clean. <laughs> I'll clean it up. That's right. right? There's yep. not an ounce going to waste. Yep. No, I mean that 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 reward, right? Is is there's effort involved in that? There's a memory involved in that. There's there's time away from you know your little girl and your wife that's involved with that. I'm not wasting a bit of it. And I wanted to say, if you guys ain't taking the tongue, you're missing out. I, man, tongue is real. Oh, dude, delicious, man! Thin, pull that yeah. skin off last, of there, uh, thin slice. Woo! Yeah, dude. Last, uh, my last bull that I was talking about bringing all the bones, his tongue came out as well. So yeah. good, man. I, you know, I was reluctant for years. <laughs> you know, you go somewhere, you know, and you see tongue, and it's like I don't really want to taste something that's tasted me back. And then I kind of laid myself down, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna try everything. I'm going to try brain. I'm going to try the tongue. Dude, I fell in love with tongue. Like heart and liver, I'm a liver eater anywhere. I love I love liver. Uh, heart's delicious. But, man, that tongue. Brain, I'm a, I'm a texture dude. That I can't do the texture. I'm sorry. Um, and then, yeah, you know, not really well, knowing how CWD with CWD plays. and stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm that, out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a rough one with that. Um, I'm not a fan of the brain. So somebody got that. They got me beat. But, uh, yeah, tongue, dude. Oh delicious delicious yeah super good 
one of my favorite cuts. One of my favorite cuts is uh, elk shank, slow cooked shank meat, man, like tacos. Well, it's got to go for eight to ten hours to to get all the tendons to jellify. You know, you you bring up a good point there, right? Is is you come across a carcass, right, and and you see a lot of waste, right? Quarters are gone, select cut, you know, backstrap tenderloins are gone. But then you look and it's like, damn, man. You left all that neck meat. You left all that good rib meat just laying there, man. And it's just nature's going to take care of it. But man, it's so that that part I, that troubles me when I see it. Right, that's wasteful, and I, and I don't agree with with that at all. Um, it's like, man, just spend the time. Like, you, you, this is what you waited a year for. You know, this is what you got thousands, yeah. thousands of dollars invested in. You want to talk about price per pound. The more you leave on the mountain in those little, you know, oh, yeah. not so desirable meats, we'll say for the lack of a better phrase, um, that that increases the price per pound. Take every bit of that freaking animal, you know, take every bit. Well, that's only because that's only because guys think that it's too difficult to be able to process because it's so so many little different groups of muscles and tendons and all this and that. And dude, whenever you grind that stuff up or, or even like take like the neck meat, you just take that neck meat as a roast and plump it in there into the crock pot and add some good stuff to it. My gosh, it makes some good tacos when it's rendered down, man. It all, it's seriously like a giant ribeye that's just mixed together. Mm -hmm. What I think it is. My wife does a, she'll do a chili verde with, with the neck meat, dude. I mean, I, Mm. I don't know. She's probably... She's probably eight to nine hours, like in the crock pot, you know, slow cooking. Oh, yeah. My mouth started watering. I mean, you want to talk about amazing? Oh, dude. With some rice or a tortilla or something? Holy hell. I could eat that stuff for 10 days straight and not miss a beat. Yeah. Making me hungry. <laughs> so Me too. So so does your does your gear list look different solo? Versus when you're hunting with uh, with Kyle, is that is, you guys try and utilize the same the same gear? You know, maybe a camp stove or something like that, or is it you know, hey, I'm packing my yeah. camp stove and how's that look? Um, it, so we we have done it separate, uh, but for the most part, um, we each like running our own stuff, and a lot of times one of us will be testing something new. Um, versus, you know, one of us will be running something old or whatever it is. We're always, I mean, you know how it is, man, something cool comes up or somebody gives you a new piece of equipment to try out. Um, so I, I usually am running like I'm solo all the time. Um, cause I always like to be able to, like, if we're going to have lunch, I like to have a hot lunch sometimes rather than just eating out of like a tuna packet or something like that. Uh, so I always have my stove on me. Um, yeah, I don't think we really we don't ever really worry about splitting up. We're always, you know, running solo, everything solo. Yeah. It, 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 there's nothing like running especially if you're testing something new, right? And and having that tried and true backup uh in your in your buddy's pack. That's there's always a risk in new gear, especially if guys aren't, you know, I think I said it on that podcast we did. Um one of the number one mistakes that I hear or see is guys getting stuff 
based on a blog or based on reviews or what they heard, throwing in their packs and then going out into the woods with it and going, damn, this thing sucks, you know? And it's just like, Ooh, man, that's the worst thing you do go from box yeah. to pack, man. Like you're, you're really risking a lot. You're, you could be risking your hunt in that. Right. Because if it don't work and you know, for whatever reason you bought, you know, X brand stove and that son of a bitch clicker won't work. Um, whatever it is, man. Or you get out there and you get, I, I did it last year. I, I wanted, yeah. I wanted a nice new headlamp. Right. So I went and I checked them out and I really liked the headlamp and I bought it. Not thinking I absolutely wasn't thinking and it's rechargeable. Right. So I get it and I'm, I'm reading, I go, man, this was, this was a stupid purchase, right? Like I just got a rechargeable headlamp. I'm planning to be out on the mountain all of September, how the hell am I going to charge this? And then I look and the batteries are $80 for a replacement battery. I'm like, man, this sucker's going back. And uh, I took it back. Oh, I was just like, man. Man. It was a, it, it, the, the biggest problem I have with headlamps is they, they most, most of them are fairly uncomfortable. And if I, if I have something on my head that's too tight or restrict, it just drives me batty, man. Um, but it's, yeah. it's things like that, right? Just, you know, not thinking about it, not testing it, not, you know, putting it to some type of use prior to hitting the mountain, man, is it, it's, it could be a fatal flaw in your hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about all that stuff, you know, like if you're going to be using your phone as a GPS, what do you have to recharge your phone while you're back there? Are you going to carry a battery pack and how many charges can you get out of one battery pack? Um, I, I carry a, uh, I carry a solar, solar panel with me everywhere that I go. And I'm also charging cameras and stuff. Um, but, uh, I carry this little foldable neck tech. I've had this thing for six years. Um, you know, it folds open. This is a great Amazon purchase. I think it costs like 40 bucks. I've had this thing for literally three or four years. And, uh, I can lay it out in the sun. I can connect my battery pack to it and leave it there at camp all day long. And when I get back every day, I've got fresh batteries to charge, you know, to charge my phone. And I, I usually carry two battery packs, one with me during the day and then one back at camp recharging the one that I used the day before. And just flop. Um, you know, so yeah, I just flop them. Yeah. So I tried, I tried, uh, I'll just say the initials GZ's uh, solar panel. And dude, I was pissed. Like this one, this one's better. Okay. I'm this gonna... Kyle ran. I know exactly which one you're talking oh, about. Dude, I was so uh, this next tech. This company's actually been around, um, for about, um, about nine years. Uh, I had their model before this one. Mm -hmm. It was only like a 16 watt. Um, and then they upgraded and added a panel to this one and made it a 21 watt, uh, and they could even ha they could have one even better than that now, but um, this thing has been—I mean, it's faded. It's been on my—it's been on my backpack so much, um, but I've never had an issue with it. Yeah, I'll have to check that out because I was—I I, want to get another one. They're just not there's not that many available. And then after my experience with that other one, I'm like, man, I—and that sucker was. Man, I want to say it was close to 200 bucks. I mean, I literally, when yeah. once I got back off my hunt, I believe it was, I don't think it was two days later. And I was back returning that thing. Like this thing is garbage. Can I have my money, please? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was so, so disappointed. 
Yeah, don't be too proud to take something out that's going to be a failure. Yeah, I no, say gotta, like just because you bought it, it's going yeah. back, man. It's going back. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and a lot of stuff will you know will kind of recycle. We'll post it for sale and things like that. You know, don't don't post something for sale on on one of your hunting groups that didn't work for you or you thought it was a piece of garbage like don't put someone else in that <laughs> yeah. position you know what i mean let's let's be good right. to each other about it because i see that all the time you know oh, i didn't like well why are you selling i didn't like it well what was wrong with it so if it sucked for you why do you think it's good for the next guy you know let's let's have a little decency in that man uh take that sob yeah. out to the store keep the daggum yeah like we were talking yeah, like we were talking uh, uh, your filter setup, right? Mm -hmm. So I run a uh, one of the Katahdin. Um, oh, it's in the other pocket. Anyways, it's one of the the. I think I'm saying it right, Katahdin. Is that right? K the pump. Yeah, something. And like then or something. Katahdin or something like that. So I basically built my own setup. Um, I don't use the Sawyer squeeze anymore as far as the pouch i still use the sawyer uh inline filter mm -hmm. um, but then i use that uh that katahdin uh pump and then i've actually taken and found a brass uh filter that goes in line and then another pre-filter that goes in my water source um because we were talking about you know i hunt some pretty nasty country and not a whole ton of water a lot of times and i've got a clean you know i've got to find a way to clean through uh a bunch of water i usually consume man like on a good hiking day i can go through probably four to six liters in a day right and that's over the nighttime cooking and everything right. so so filtering six liters of water a day uh you can clog one of those sawyer filters real fast if you have subpar water source. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I always try to tell guys to keep that in mind. I run two pre-filters before it ever even goes into my water filter just to catch those bigger sediment items and you know stuff that is just floating in the in the streams. Mm -hmm. Um and it's made it to where I can run a uh a sawyer for two full seasons. And that's and whenever I say a season, I'm I'm hunting for four months at a time, uh, kind of backcountry style for whitetail, coos deer. I mean, you name it. Yeah. So I I carry two of those filters. I and I label mine right. You know, if I'm get get two seasons, I you know I have last year's will have red marker with the year, and then this year's new purchase will have green. Because man, there I'm not going to carry the flush system for it, but a lot of those a lot of those. Uh, particulates man they'll clog you up and i don't care how much you flush it you're just not going to get it clean um and then if you don't have clean water to do it there ain't no point my buddy bust out his syringe and i'm like dude what are you doing you're sucking up <laughs> particulate water and you're shoving that in there yeah. thinking you're doing some good you ain't doing a damn bit of good with it but you know i and i think when we had that conversation i was talking about the sawyer s3 and you want to talk yeah. about you know run and gun water filter man it's it's probably the easiest filtering system that I've used. And if, you know, if I decide to have some protein powder or, you know, a little pre-workout on the mountain, because Lord knows I, I suck that stuff down or electrolytes, um, that's the fastest way for me on that thing, man. I mean, just metal, heavy metals, bacteria, viruses, um, 
pesticides. It's 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 just complete. It's complete. I, I did I tell yeah. you I, I literally was like, hey, who that's a pissy wallow. Let's see how good it is. Yeah. It took so much of the aromatics <laughs> of the urine out <laughs> that it didn't bother me. You know, you try and do that with a regular filter that is just getting, you know, bacteria and virus. You still get a lot of the smell that goes along with the water. You can't palate it. You know, it's it's rough. Yeah. And uh, man, I, and that thing, you know, it's it's some kind of silicone base uh, bottle, um, I think. But you, you squeeze that sucker down and you can have a trickle of water or stagnant water that's an inch. You just lay that thing down there, manipulate it, roll it up and let it unroll. It fills itself. And it's like try and mm, fill cool. try and fill a, a any bag. I don't care if it's I don't want to you know sound like we're bashing Sawyer here, but the Sawyer is the Sawyer S3. Uh, but you try and fill that bag with that little one inch, you know, nipple on it in a, a shallow piece of water. Dude, that's a nightmare. You know, and then if you start digging yeah. a hole so you could fill it, well, now you just got particulates, you know, going all over the place. So then you're getting your waters even cloudier. If, you know, if it wasn't already, you just created something. So then you, what are you going to wait for that to settle while you're on the move um, to get that water in that thing loaded up and then squeeze it through that, that S3, man. I wish it was, I shouldn't say that. I, I don't, but I do. I wish it was a little bit bigger or they had a bigger system that was similar and as easy to use so I can get more volume per fill. Um, you know, if, yeah. I, if you look at like a, a like a Nalgene, it's probably three of the S3s to fill up my Nalgene. Um, so it does, you know, it does take it. But I can do that. I can do that in minutes versus running that through a drip filter. Um, squeeze it down and then you, you shake it, you squeeze it 10 times and your water's good to go. It just, I think and you get 10... I think they said 10,000 fills on that thing. Um, so that's been yeah, a that's game changer. I, I really, I really, really like that bottle, man. That system is slick. You can go into your clean bag. And that's one thing we didn't talk about, clean and dirty bags, right? So if you guys are listening to this, make sure you're carrying a clean bag and a dirty bag. You don't want to pick this water up and then, you know, be putting, you know, dirty water into a clean bag or trying to drink out of that bag. It don't work that way. So. If you're dirty, label so your dirty bag. I do, I do not run a dirty and a clean bag because I run the pump system. Right. You're coming right um, out. That I've, built, that I've built. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can see, but I use, I run these quick disconnects yeah, buddy, on my bladders. Way. Yep. Yeah. So I'll disconnect and then plug my filter right into this. And I don't even have to take it out of my backpack. I immediately just start pumping water. And, um, and then plug this right back in. And, uh, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're, I have a rule now guy that I don't even camp anywhere unless there's fresh, clean, nice water. Mm -hmm. Uh, we did the game of packing water for so long into some of these areas. Now I'm just like, we're not, we're not even stopping until we find a spring. Um, because I think that's one of my most important things in finding a campsite is knowing that I have water for myself and cooking um, and just, you know, everything about having water right at camp. That way I don't have to worry about it during midday, during the hunt, you know, gathering water during the middle of a hunt when you hear a bugle ripping off is the most annoying thing to sit there for, you know, 
even if it's just five minutes to try to get a little bit of, you know, a liter of water, mm-hmm. it, you're wasting time to me. Uh, so I mean, I, if try, you, I try to make it to where it's easy. And if you look at how much water we're using, right? If, if, if you're a breakfast guy and a dinner guy, that's water right there right? Depending on how, what, what food you're using or if you're dehydrating yourself, right? You got volume of water there. Plus you're, you're sipping water. And then you say, man, I, you know, I want to change this up and I, I, you know, I want some, whatever it is, you know, uh, liquid IV mountain. Yeah. I drink a lot of mountain ops or whatever. Yeah. Right. So then, you know, that's water there. Plus, you know, your water for, for running around the mountain, we go through a lot of water a day. So I agree with you, man, having a, <clears throat> having a good source, knowing where that good source is at close at hand um, and, and really capitalizing on that use is a big deal. And, and I mean, not to mention the safety aspect of it, right? You start getting dehydrated out there, man. And you know, shit hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last thing that I want. Um, I, if anything, I'm consuming way more water than what I really probably need. Um, I carry my capacity for carrying water is, is seven liters. I have two, two, three liter platypus bags that I run. Um, and I, and I do not run the platypus zipper bag. Um, I've seen those fail multiple times whenever you try to overfill them. Uh, so I use the screw on caps mm-hmm. style. Um, they have, I've, I've had, uh, I actually just replaced my two that I've had now for nine years and I just bought two new ones. Um, and then I run a one liter uh, or 32 ounce, whatever you want to call it, Nalgene for mixing my drinks in. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much my water carrying system. Dude, for that. Okay, so you're a quick disconnect guy, too. So there's uh, hard side hydration. Check those guys out. Do they have, they came out with a, they call it the swig rig. I don't have the full setup with me. This is, they sent me this. Oh, this. yeah. With- with that bottle oh dude they have a bottle that it goes in yeah you can use it with a regular nalgene so their bottle their their bottle i think is the 64 because a regular nalgene i believe is 32 but any 63 millimeter lid on a nalgene or any other type of you know hydration bottle their system will fit on that 63 mil lid dude I mean, you just, okay, I want that. And I mean, quick disconnect, snap that sucker right into the straw that's sitting there with the, with the QD and you, mm, that's cool. Oh dude. I love it. Cause I use my, yeah, mouth, you know, so then, you can, then you don't have to worry about, you can just switch back and forth from whatever's in your Nalgene to yeah. whatever yeah. is in your hydration. Pack. Yeah, yeah. man, I just reach up and I take my hose and I, reach down clip it into my little water bottle holder right there you know if you run it on the side of your pack you just qd that sucker in and out money man because you know how it is you five six seven days on the mountain and and no and it's like i don't want water again (laughs) you know just to have that little you know electrolyte or mountain hops well that's why i say oh yeah dude that's why i say drink mix because I'm a coffee guy in the morning, so I've got coffee with me. I've got honey and some stevia to mix mm-hmm. uh, with my coffee. And then uh, usually after coffee, sometime between, you know, coffee and lunchtime, I don't do breakfast. Um, I do. Uh, and then I'll drink, you know, partial mountain ops or something like that. And I'm always reaching for that damn Nalgene. Uh, so that's a pretty good setup. But, yeah, I, I get tired of water, you know, the whole time. Yep. 
so having something, I usually pick something, you know, mountain ops, it's got some caffeine and stuff in it. And then something that is still good flavor, but no caffeine, like mm-hmm. an electrolyte or one of those crystallite packs or something like that. Yeah. You know, I've been using the last couple of years as a uh, liquid IV. Um, I, mm, yeah, that, that stuff's good. It, uh, especially when you're burning, it does have a lot of sodium. Um, but if you're out there and you, and you're working you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, in anybody shape or form, yeah, you need a medical person. So I can't tell you how much to consume, but Oh man, I enjoy them. And it breaks the monotony of the water up, gives you that little boost you need in terms of electrolytes. I, I really like the liquid IV and they got flavors up the wazoo, man. They're all over the place. You like, yeah. you like pina coladas. You could have pina colada flavor on the mountainside, <laughs> <laughs> but no, they're great, man. Um, well, brother, we, uh, we'll wrap it, man. I think we, we spit out enough information in an hour and a half that hopefully folks could glean to, um you guys you know go follow cole at his youtube um on instagram i'm sure if you have any questions he'd be more than happy to uh answer those questions and and field some of that from this episode check him out on uh, elk bros with us uh why don't you drop all your info man? let them know where they can find you on youtube and and, uh, other socials yeah man so uh flatlander on youtube it's just flatlander um it's that emblem that you see right here behind me uh, I'm sure you can see the logo there. Um, and then also it's Flatlander on YT on Instagram. So it's Flatlander O-N-Y-T. Um, yeah, give me a follow on both of those. Um, I'm releasing uh, deer season and elk season stuff from last year. Um, currently, uh, I've got, uh, I just teamed up with... Um, with tooth of the arrow broadheads, they just sent me some air, some broadheads to destroy. Uh, so I'm going to be testing them and on a elk shoulder here actually tomorrow. So that video is going to be, uh, releasing, uh, before the end of the week. Um, but yeah, man, Cole Wilkes on Facebook, you guys can message me any, any way that you want. Um, I, I respond to every single comment uh, regardless of it's good or bad, I'll call you a douchebag or a tool bag or something like that. Uh, <laughs> if you want to play that game, we can, we can go that route. <laughs> um, but most of it's just, you know, people want to learn, man. And I, I try to give it any bit of information that I can, yeah. uh, out there. So y'all hit me up. Good deal, brother. Well, I appreciate the time, man. Best of luck on the mountain. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking here soon with with the Elk Bros Adventure stuff, you know, kind of wrapping for the season and as we get towards camp for that. So best of luck, bro. Yeah. YouTube. See ya.